Okie dokie, we've been, we're about three weeks into this uh, dynasty series, uh, and um, there we are. And we're looking uh, at the, some snapshots in the life of David and his key relationships in terms of how we see a kingdom family grow. Last week, really, I, I, I kind of spent some time unpacking a bit of a prophetic backdrop speaking about how we raise sons and daughters as spiritual mothers and fathers as we move into the next generation, not being one of those spiritual movements, second, third generation movements that is one of diminishing returns and dissipates, but we keep our pioneering fervor as we move forward with the gospel of the kingdom. We had a great day. Thank you for praying for us. This is just preamble, by the way. Um, This doesn't count, Dave. Uh, We had a great day um, on Wednesday with the elders team together. So grateful the guys were able to take time uh, off work and uh, to join together to pray, some who came to pray and prophesy with us uh, as well. And we're just digging again into our, what now is a probably an eight, nine-year-old vision statement for the church. And this church, over the 40 years or so we've been a church, the, the vision doesn't change. Um, when Keith was leading and guys before Keith, way before my time, the gospel of the kingdom has always been the vision of a, of a local church. We are still a diverse church equipped to impact Crawley and beyond. And that, that means everyone. And we were drilling into it on Wednesday as we prayed together. Everyone of every age, every background, whatever your colour, whatever language you speak, whether you're confident with your English or not, whether you're male or female, whether you're brand new to this gig or whether you've got decades of experience, we all get to grow as disciples of Jesus. And we all get to help others grow as well. So that the kingdom of mission, the kingdom of Jesus, his mission moves forward, rolls forward, um, spreads and moves uh, from here into the nations. In that sense, we're always in transition as a local church. We're always looking to release, to identify, to equip, to send. We're always looking to stay and to strengthen and put down roots. It's just the family life, the pattern of family of God from the scriptures, and it's our pattern too. That's where we're at. It's where we're moving forward from. So today in this dynasty series, turn to 1 Samuel 16. You'll find it fairly near the front of your Bibles. And uh, just look at this prophetic call again. How we respond to one another in the family of God. There were some um, prophetic words, words of knowledge earlier as we were praying. I wonder when we worship and pray in a few minutes, certainly there were some about eating disorders and people struggling with depression. I wonder if the Lord wants to meet with you. Some people have been struggling with anxieties and lies that they've believed. I, I think the Holy Spirit wants to set some people free this morning. Um, let me just read some snapshots from, uh, from 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Um, let me set the scene. Saul is king uh, and uh, Samuel the prophet, and he had been the judge or the leader in Israel. He'd anointed Saul as king against his better judgment, really. And, uh, and Saul, as God had said, turned out to be a bad king. Now Samuel has been told, I want you to go and anoint a new king. There's only one problem. Saul is still king. He's still got his army. He's still very much in charge, uh, though the Lord has moved on in his plan. Samuel's afraid, but he's obedient, and he does what the Lord says. But he says, God, you've got to help me here. So he kind of goes secretly to Bethlehem, where God tells him to go. uh, And uh, he knows he's got to meet Jesse and his family. I'll pick up uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, and he says to, uh, verse 5, Yeah, I've come in peace, Samuel says. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. It's a bit of a front, really. He doesn't 
doesn't want to say, I'm coming to anoint a new king because his head is going to be uh, on the block um, if uh, Saul finds out. Um, and so he says, come, come with me. And he, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. It's one of Jesse's sons, his older sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. He's, he's learning by now, by verse 8. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. What a blessed man Jesse was. All seven sons of Jesse pass before Samuel. Samuel shakes his head. Uh -uh. None, none of these. Are these all the sons you have? Jesse asks. He asks Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy and had a fine appearance. Or rosy, we could say. He was rosy. Uh, Rosy-cheeked. Healthy, it means. With a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. I'll just look at this next verse. I'll just read this in passing. Spirit of the Lord has just come on David in power. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Let me just pick up in, verse, in chapter 17. Uh, again, at this time, the Philistines are oppressing the people of Israel. You may have heard of Goliath, the giant warrior of the Philistines. He's taunting God's people every day. Saul is the king in camp with all his soldiers. But every day, they just fall back when Goliath comes to the front line. Uh, David's brothers are there on the front line, his big brothers. Um, and they're not able to fight either. Let me just pick up at verse 17. Now, Jesse says to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and cheeses for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are. Bring back some assurance from them. He's an old, old guy now. He wants to know how his boys are doing. So David, take some cheese to the front line. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. This is a big moment and a, quite a frightening moment. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. You can picture the scene. David did what any young teenage boy would do. He left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. Not a good time, David. <laughs> um, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see this man keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, you know, the tall one, great stature, good looking, that brother. When Eliab heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Said David, I love that kind of teenage response. What have I done? If you've, if you've ha- ever had brothers at home, you know that response. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul said for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow, I want to roar at that point. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Listen, I'd love to go on and, and read the rest of the story. And if, if genuinely, if you don't know the story of how it works out, please read on when you get home. It's, it's a very exciting story and I won't spoil the plot for you. Just uh, briefly before we pray and, and, and worship together and see what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. There are four types of people with authority in David's life here in this story. All of them are supposed to be looking and seeing and nurturing and releasing God's call on David. You've got Jesse, his dad. You've got Samuel, the prophet. You've got David's big brothers. And you've got King Saul. And it's amazing as I look at this, these verses in 1 Samuel, how the Bible works together and points us towards the greater reality of kingdom life. Um, these four imperfect groups of people, um, they point us to the reality of how securely we can grow and be nurtured in God's family. This family that we're in, in God's family, we have a perfect heavenly father. Not Jesse, but our perfect father in heaven. This kingdom family that we're a part of doesn't have a big brother like Eliab. It has the perfect elder brother, Jesus Christ. He's the one in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son where the older brother is not a very good older brother. But Jesus is the kind of opposite of that. He's the one that goes out and finds us and, and sees something in us where no one else sees it. Even when we're in our dirt and our mess and he brings us into our father's house. And then he celebrates rather than the wines with cynicism like the prodigal son older brother. We have a perfect heavenly father. We have a perfect older brother. 
We have Jesus, who is the perfect and truest prophet, not the imperfect prophet Samuel. And we have the true son of David, the true king in the line of David, Jesus Christ. Hey friends, these are more than just nice life lessons we can learn in the story of David. This is about the kingdom of God and how it works out in his family as we grow together. So I just want to look at all four of their influences in his life, good, bad and ugly, and David's own responsibility as a young uh, man before we pray together. Firstly, let's just look at Jesse, the the, the father. Jesse didn't even consider his youngest son in chapter 16, verse 11, where he says uh, in in the NIV, it says, oh yeah, there's there's another one, David, the the youngest. The Hebrew word there actually carries with it a sense of, he's not important. It was like the child born in my kind of older age. I've already got a pile of sons, and and now I've kind of got one more. Uh, We can find something for him to do. Look after the sheep, carry the cheeses to the front line, that kind of thing. Someone of whom maybe not much was expected. It says Jesse was old in the time of Saul. It tells us that in chapter 17. And yet David was a young man. I don't know whether some of you had a father who was much older from another, another generation. It can be difficult sometimes. You, you know, I've been reading again this week. It's a great little book. I gave it to some of our parents last year, Raising Emotionally Healthy Kids. I, it could be Eliza Henderson, but I may have made that name up. She might be a pop singer. I don't know. Um, I didn't write it down. Great little book. But talks about that 11 to 16-year-old, or even the kind of pre-teenage to early teenage years. That, that period where adolescence starts and grows, where teens are shaping their identity, where they're carrying all their kind of sense of purpose, but also a whole pile of confusion, where they're pushing boundaries, where they're exploring their personal freedoms, and where they're figuring out who on earth they are and, and who they want to be. And usually it's the very opposite of what they think their parents are and what their parents want them to be. And, and we know now, psychologists know, there's, there's some real brain development going on at this stage. In fact, it carries on it, it, your kind of neurological development till you're 25 or so. Often in that, that adolescent period and young teenagers, uh, psychologists will say they, they can be passionate. They can be deeply moved and committed uh, by a cause but they also, because their neural cortex hasn't formed properly, they also lack all kinds of judgment. It's a great combination, isn't it? I'm going to go at 100 kilometers an hour with great passion, but I've got no sense of the consequences. We both love that and are terrified by that as well. That's why I used to kind of ride down steep slopes and do jumps on a bike when I was 14, but I wouldn't dare do it now that I'm in my early 50s. I'm aware of the consequences. My brain has developed a little bit more. Um, So how important then in this state of nurture, that there are godly fathers, natural fathers, and as we were talking last week, spiritual mothers and fathers to nurture, to affirm, to guide, not to crush, not, not, to, not to say you can't do that, but to encourage, but give boundaries and wisdom. It, it starts actually with babies, with Rosie's age, all of that affirmation stuff. But this teen stage with Jesse and David is vital. If you think you've missed that with your kids, hey, it's never too late. You can start praying and changing that today. Um, And I I love even, it seems, for David, he seems to have an incredible maturity. Maybe it's his relationship with his heavenly father that is already making up where his relationship with Jesse lacks. Dads, if I can speak to natural dads here today, how we speak to our children is of of such importance. Colossians 3.21, fathers, don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Uh, I know what it is as a dad to discourage my children, my sons and my daughters. I know what it is to have been discouraged by imperfect parents. 
that our words to our children are powerful. It's hard to take our words back once they've been spoken from a position of dad or mum. They go deep into a child's spirits. We need to be careful what we say, how we treat our kids with our words. Be careful, loving in our discipline of them so that, that, so that they don't lose their spirit, so that they don't have discouragement produced in them. Uh, David does it so well with his son Solomon. We looked at some of that last week. He, he does it really badly with some of his other sons. I think he has about 19 sons. But Solomon is the one, 2 Samuel 12, 24. His name is the Lord loved him. And for Solomon at least, David's son, maybe David was thinking about his own relationship with Jesse and how good it would be for Solomon to grow up knowing you are loved by God and loved by your dad as well. So parents, we model something of our perfect heavenly father when we love and when we express with our words and our actions approval and affirmation. How do we model it? Well, our Heavenly Father perfectly uh, affirmed his perfect son, uh, Jesus' baptism, when he spoke over him. (laughs) This is my beloved son with whom I'm so very pleased. Let me tell you today, whether you've experienced this either as a parent or on the receiving end as a child, and probably both. um, Let me tell you, if you're in Christ, you have a perfect Heavenly Father And if you're in Christ, he is not disappointed in you in any way. Whatever's been spoken over you, he he sees you in his perfect son, Jesus. That's our culture as we look at one another and relate to one another and relate to God, our Heavenly Father, as a family of the kingdom. So let me just encourage you, dads particularly, if you're one of those dads that tells your children often and regularly that you love them and you're proud of them, please keep going in that. And if you haven't done that yet, then please make a start. If you're the kind of dad that gives praise and encouragement, please don't stop when they get to 13 and suddenly turn grumpy and pull their hoods up all the time at the table. They still need your affirmation and your encouragement. Every time you have the chance, tell them how precious and special and important they are to you and are to God's kingdom plans. Are there any, any parents here that know they need the Heavenly Father's help today in their parenting? Is it just me still? Okay, some of you are not being honest. Or you're just the most amazing, you need to write the next books because you're the most amazing parent. I'd love to pray for you in a few moments. The, the second person of influence and authority into David's life was Samuel the prophet. <coughs> Samuel, of course, didn't see past the outward. He's an incredible prophet. He's had an incredible ministry. Uh, and that, that famous verse in verse 7 where Samuel has not seen what God sees. And then God shows him how he looks, how he measures Not the measures that we look for, the outward measure of success that we are so easily impressed by. God looks at the heart. It's really hard for us, of course, to uh, look inside someone's heart. Um, In fact, it's impossible. The Bible tells me my own heart deceives me. Never mind your hearts. I can't judge someone's heart motivation. And the human heart can change over time. It can start well and finish badly and finish badly, uh, start badly and finish well. Thank goodness we, we have the true prophet, the true judge of all men and women who sees the heart perfectly. 1 Chronicles 28, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Revelation 2.23, Jesus says of him, I am he who searches the heart 
a mind. Well, this is good news. There's one who truly sees, who truly knows. That's why we cry out with, the, with David in Psalm 51. Oh God, create a new heart in me and renew a right spirit in me. Maybe God's got some work to do in your heart and my heart today. At the football club where I serve as a chaplain, one of the new members of the, of the kind of new fitness and physio team, he's got an amazing app on his phone. It's like something out of the, out of the future, out of tomorrow's world and Star Trek. Um, this attachment on his phone. And he can, um, can hold it over a torn muscle. And the image on the screen on his phone shows the muscle tear inside the actual body. Is, is that just me that's impressed with that? Or is that incredible? That's incredible tech. It, it exposes what is hidden to the human sight. There's such a contrast here. Our outer judgments and the externals that we, we put on people in our judgments. That's not how we evaluate people in the kingdom family. We need someone who can scan into the hearts, who can see past the external. The, the Hebrew word there where it says God judges the hearts. The Hebrew word there has a sense of meaning of the word exposing. Um, it's, an, it's an exposure. It shows what's really there. opens up fully and completely. That's the way the Lord looks into my heart and your heart. So for us, we need his help. We're not into, as those maybe with some position of authority in the lives of bringing others through, we're not into guessing games and hoping for the best about a heart of a young man or a young woman. We're, we're seeking prophetic discernment. We're seeking insight into what God already sees, what God already knows, what God is able to expose because he looks at a heart. And that's then what God gave to Samuel here. And suddenly he's on track. Oh yeah, not that one either. Not that one, not that one. He knows then. They're all impressive guys. It's not that they were less impressive than David, but by then Samuel knows, oh yeah, I've got a discernment from God. How do we find this discernment? It's a gift of the Spirit. We ask for it. It's one of the grace gifts that the Holy Spirit gives that's listed for us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. We're not just looking at outer gifting, uh, but we're looking at character. We're looking at the heart. For, for us over the years, and I know it's been true in how People have nurtured me from when I was very young. You, you can have a lot of grace for a young person or a young leader that makes mistakes, but is teachable, is still honoring, that's quick to repent, that tells the truth, that has a deep love for the Lord, even though they've blown it, um, that is eager to serve, just give me something to do. You can have a lot of grace for a person like that, rather than someone who is all performance, who's eager to be noticed who's about their own kind of Instagram profile and their outer appearance. We, we need to pray, don't we, for this gift of discernment uh, for us and for the hearts of those that the Lord's entrusted into our care. Let me move on briefly to some others who had authority into David's life to see and to nurture the call of God. The big brothers. Wow. These guys were unable to celebrate and mentor what God was doing in David's life, I think because they felt it diminished them. There's something really horrible in the human heart sometimes when people go beyond us. Something ugly and competitive. Actually, it's sinful. It's demonic. Um, it, uh, it's, it's really interesting. and It's a bit awkward. 16, 13, one of those awkward family moments. If they'd taken the, the photo at that point, that would look awkward on the mantelpiece. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. There's these big brothers <laughs> with all their gift and all their fight, going to change the world. Here's David being anointed. And David's the one who's being called by God. It's a kind of awkward Instagram family photo moments. Wow, David is there. I guess at that moment, or maybe he began to feel like Joseph and his brothers back in Genesis. 
Joseph's brothers were sick of hearing Joseph's old dad, Jacob, praise Joseph, go on and on about it. They were, they were sick of seeing Joseph being given his bright coat and talking up his big dreams in God. They began to feel diminished and began to behave ugly and sinfully. I think even Jesus felt some of this pain. The Gospels tell us there was a point in Jesus' ministry where his own brothers and mother called to him to come and, and, and rest and be at home with him because they thought he was going mad. What it is to be misunderstood in your call by those who are closest to you, who should know you best and affirm the call of God on your lives. And look at the anger we find in Eliab, the oldest brother. By the time we get to verse 28 of chapter 17, it's really ugly, isn't it? What are you doing here? Shouldn't you be with your sheep? Um, because the, their hearts were bitter and, and they become diminished by that bitterness. Then they diminish David with their judgments. That's how it works for us, isn't it? Sadly, it's ugly. Maybe you're aware of some of that in your own life sometimes. I know I have been. And so your words begin to pour out your own sense of inadequacy over others. It's just, you've just got this insignificant little job of caring for your sheep. And I, I, again, I love that teenage response from David as well. Huh? Huh? Big brother. Huh? Or, is that just me? Or was that just around our table? And I only had sisters. <laughs> Listen, some of you have been spoken over. You, you're, you're only this. Um, you will never that. Those kinds of... I remember things being spoken over me by a headmaster that were very personal while my parents were sat at his desk and I was made to stand in the corner. And the headmaster, I think I was seven or eight years old, made some judgments about how my life would turn out. I had to pray through those as a young man when I was first leading in church because they were screwing me up. Some of you have had judgments spoken over you by people who should have nurtured you. Some of us have made our own vows out of disappointment and have become like a stronghold in our lives. Oh, no, I'm never going to do that again. God could never use me. Yeah, God can use others in that, but, but, but never me. Some of you have even felt judgments and received them from your brothers and sisters in the church who've made you feel because of how they've spoken to you. Like, you, I will never go out on the front line again. I'm never going to serve again. I'll, I'll just carry the cheese and hang around at the back. That's, your, that's how you kind of relegated yourself here. Maybe some of us have either deliberately or, uh, oh God forgive us, inadvertently spoken things over others that have diminished them. Words that have been harmful. Maybe we've just allowed our cynicism to pour out over people. Maybe we've used gossip to tear people down. Let me, let me just challenge you today, brothers and sisters, that's what we are. If you find yourself getting angry or cynical or wound up by someone else's success in God or seeing a young person serving and thinking, that I bet they're bold and arrogant, if that's our response, we probably need to repent. We probably need to turn things around. You see how important it is for us to have a culture in a kingdom family where truth is spoken with affirmation and love. I pray the Lord would set us free today if that's true for us. Hallelujah. Number four, Saul the king. Wow. Thank the Lord we have a perfect king in Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Saul the king, he couldn't think outside of himself. We, we saw he's already been tormented with depression, a demonic spirit. Depression isn't always from, uh, in, in our lives, it can, there can be all kinds of roots and sources for depression. But sometimes it does come from demonic oppression. We just need to be alert to that. In Saul's case, that was uh, true. He, he knew, although he was still wearing the crown, still commanded the army, he's already lost his court. He's already lost his spiritual authority. He's ab abandoned it. Serving leaders like that is really hard 
when you've got a guy who's got the power, um, uh, but he's got no authority spiritually to go with it. There's that frightening change we read about where the Spirit of God comes on David, but the Spirit of God departs from Saul. Again, may we not be that kind of generational movement, but may we just encourage the Holy Spirit. I love what Anna read this morning, Every, from the youngest to the, even to the grandparents. Oh, his love is for us. The Holy Spirit is fresh for us. We can all receive. It doesn't have to lift off one to come onto the other. And God's made a judgment based on what he sees in Saul's heart. And so the Holy Spirit is lifted off Saul. Uh, and it's put on to David. David moves forward from this point with courage and with an expectation in God. Saul moves forward from that point with fear and depression. It's a, it's a diminishing spiral. Whereas David's, although it goes through some real twists and turns, is only going towards kingship. Look at the sequence when David meets Saul. Verse 32 of chapter 17. David's the one who's trying to lift Saul Saul's a king. He's the guy that should be giving the rousing kind of Henry V speech on the front line. We're going to take the French here. That's, uh, that's where, how Shakespeare wrote it. That's how Saul should have been in his big Churchill moment. We'll fight them on the beaches. Who's this Philistine? It's David, the teenage, the cheese carrier who's doing this. The king has abdicated his spiritual authority. And so David says, don't lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. It's, it's completely the wrong way around. Uh, and, and it's Saul's negative response. What a negative, destructive. Don't be ridiculous. You're only a boy. You can't fight him. You can't win. If David had any hope or confidence, these words are going to crush, crush, crush. Um, it's, a, it's a destructive mindset for a leader who should be believing God for his gifted and called people and should be seeking to bring out the best in them wherever he can. Wow. David already shows his kind of boyish naivety and some of that teenage dopamine. Um, he's already demonstrating the heart of the king, really. Um, I just, I'm just going to go and have an adventure because God loves us. And he's against these guys. They're the good guys. We're, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Why can't no one else see that? It's very black and white for him. Spiritual mothers and fathers should cheer on that kind of pioneering spirit even when it lacks judgment of consequences. It, it was ours once. <laughs> we shouldn't crush it because it reminds us of our failures and our disappointments. Let me hear an uncomfortable amen from those of us who are older in the room. It's the very opposite of Jesus and his disciples. I, I, lo I love Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 14, the disciples are saying, where, where can we go for food? This crowd are going to starve up here. Jesus says, hey guys, you, you feed them. <laughs> um, in, in the John account, John 6 it says Jesus already knows what he's going to do. It's, it's good leadership. Um, he doesn't tell them that, but he already has a plan. But he tells them, here's how you do it. Find, find some loaves, find some fishes, work with me. He gets them to take the steps. And at the end of the sequence of steps and the great plan that Jesus had at the start, his disciples have miraculously fed a crowd of 5,000. Jesus has done it, but he's had this enabling. Do you see the difference between Jesus and Saul here? How the young leaders are brought into their gift, encouraged in their hearts, their minds, their expectation. The right words are used. Courageous assignments are given. They're not crushed through destructive language. So for us as, as, as earthly mothers and fathers and as spiritual mothers and fathers, church aunties and uncles, all that language we used last week, those of us who are the, the mums and dads, the prophets, the brothers, the, the kings, we, we want to grow an environment where we're praying, looking, encouraging, giving room for assignments, 
releasing the anointing of the Spirit, mentoring and guiding, not looking for perfection in, or maturity and wisdom or vast experience. The only way you get experience is by walking forward. Um, uh, Samuel really missed it here, didn't he? I mean, Samuel was called, he was so young. Samuel was a tiny child when he was woken up in the night uh, and, and became the, the prophet in Israel. And became the judge of Israel. Even when he was a young boy, he carried a huge spiritual authority. And now he can't see it in another. He's blinded to it. May we not become that kind of of movement. Don't we remember, God loves to take the weak things of this world. The unready. The the kind of half-baked. And to shape them for his purposes. Uh, Joseph, we've talked about with these big prophetic dreams uh, of leadership. But he's immature great big wide dopamine fueled mouth and, and Moses with his displaced anger um, that means he killed a man and ran away and hid for 40 years or, or, or Esther Esther lived effectively as a, as a sex slave in, in, a, in a king's harem or Samuel's own mother Hannah she was wife number two she wasn't able to have children she was broken with grief even the priest thought she was drunk 1 Corinthians 1.27 says God takes the weak and the foolish. He, he uses them to shame the strong and the wise. In this kingdom family, that is how we operate. There's such a responsibility on us in our roles as spiritual mothers and fathers, as brothers, as prophets, as kings, if you like, to bring our sons and daughters through to the true father, the perfect elder brother, the greatest prophet, the king of kings. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.5, just to affirm the faith of his grandmother and his mother. You had hands laid on his as a young man. He then calls Timothy, my, my dear son in the Lord. This is a model of family life for us. Kingdom family, fathers, brothers, prophets, kings. Repentance, bitterness, factions, rivalries. Missed promotions, being overlooked, disappointments, misplaced anger, striving for position, trying to prove yourself, holding on to words of judgments that have been spoken or making rash judgments in the outward. That is not how we operate in the kingdom family. Number five, and let's finish and pray and worship here. Just to say this, at the same time, David has a responsibility. You and I have a responsibility to nurture our own gift and call. We don't just wait for those with spiritual authority to do it for us. Whether we are given room or not, um, David was anointed by Samuel, but only his dad and brothers saw. There was no crown. He had to wait years before he came into his kingship. There are some things that we can get on with in the meantime. We don't wait for stuff to drop into our laps. It's interesting where, where Paul says about Timothy and, and how he's a spiritual father and Timothy's grandmother and his mother and, oh, this nurture of faith and it's all been done for you and it's beautiful. The immediate next verse to Timothy is, stir up the gift of God in you. <laughs> well, fan into flame the gift of, of God. This is your responsibility. Don't wait for someone else to do what, what you're able to get on with in terms of your walk with God. And that's David's remarkable here with his sheep in private, in those battles with lions and bears. David's already stirring up the gift of God within him, in his worship, in his commitment to the word of God. These chapters show a remarkable maturity in the life of David. 
Next time I'm on my feet, I might look at that chapter where he's soothing Saul and Saul's bunging spears at him. You look at the remarkable conviction in David, in, in God's word as he faces Goliath. David's preparation in private as a teenager meant he was ready in public. I've no idea what foundations he was laying, but I think we can know it's worship, it's the word, it's prayer, it's intimacy. They are timeless and they're true for each of you here today uh, as well. So where God calls and anoints, David responds. Even when those in spiritual authority haven't made room for him, God makes room. God makes room for, gives David an opportunity to move. When Joseph was in, in prison, he'd been wrongly imprisoned um, by Potiphar's wife and her false accusation. David didn't wait for those in authority to find the truth. He stirred up the gift that was in him. Uh, jo- um, Joseph, sorry, in, in, in prison. He used his prophetic gift in prison and it was the key that got him out of jail and got him a seat at the leadership table. Wow, even those who've got their judgments wrong over you, just continue to stir up the grace gift of God in you. It's part of the assignment for a while sometimes. Fan into flame the gift of God. Continue to walk into your call and inheritance. If you're a young person or a new believer, hey, continue. Keep going. Be ready to serve. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Keep growing in your godly character. Get on with what God's already put in your hands. It was so good to have a crowd of of our teenagers and and 412 uh, student group just turn up the other Friday night when we had a prayer night and kind of take over. That's, That's fanning into flame the gift of God as far as they're able. I was reading yesterday about Henry Martin, who died, on this, uh, died yesterday in 1781. He was 31 years old and, and he, when he died. Uh, and by the time he got to 31, he'd become a follower of Jesus. He got ordained as a Church of England priest. He then got sent as a missionary, first to India, then to Iran. Henry Martin then uh, uh, translated the Bible into Urdu, then into Arabic, and then into Persian. And then he went to be with Jesus, aged 31. Wow. I wonder how you're doing in your teens and 20s now in terms of fanning into flame the gift of God. I wonder how we're doing leaders in terms of being wise with our words, speaking life and encouragement and release. Anna, Ben, can you come and help us? We're going to pray. Maybe just one final thought prophetically. Verse 11 of chapter 16. Just start worshipping. Let's see what happens. I'm not going to throw spears at you. That's, that's next time. Uh, no, that's not next time that I throw spears. That's next time that we look at that passage. Um, well done. Welcome. Verse 11. Are these all the sons you have? Jesse asked. I just feel on my spirit this morning. I want, want you to know, each one of you, no one's making that declaration over you. If you're watching on YouTube today or in the week ahead, each one of you matters to God each one of you are these all the sons God sees your hearts you're in Christ now if you've been born again each one of us come on let's stand together we can all receive the anointing and the help of the Holy Spirit especially if there are some here today who feel I have been overlooked if my parents overlook me those in authority overlook me people in other churches even in this church have overlooked me I just wanted to I want to tell you today and speak into your spirit God has a plan for you as you come to him. 1 Corinthians speaks about us being the body of Christ. When it speaks about spiritual gifts, it says each one, each one, each one, each one. We've all got something to carry in God. 
There's no declaration, are these the only sons and daughters you've got? Yeah, these are the ones God's given us. We're so happy. We want to release everything that's in them to see them play their part in this kingdom family. Parents, spiritual mums and dads, leaders, sons and daughters. God, we want to grow this kingdom family together. Lord, how good to know that we're in this big story, the unfolding of your kingdom family. Lord, how good to know on a day where we've, we pray for and blessed little Rosie that we can speak the unfolding of your purposes. How good to know we're brought to the perfect older brother, Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Oh, we, we need your leadership. How good to know we have a perfect heavenly father who approves of us and affirms us as his sons and daughters because we're in the true son, Jesus. How good to know we stand before the perfect prophet who sees into my heart and exposes all the secrets of my heart and yet says that he loves me regardless because I'm in Christ. Wow, how good to know I can come to the true son of David, the king of kings, Jesus, who leads us not with insecurity and disappointment, but with kindness, courage and protection into your amazing kingdom adventures. It's who we want to be, Lord. And we just welcome your Holy Spirit now afresh as we worship. Will you come and minister, speak prophetically into our hearts? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's just worship together. I'd love to pray for some mums and dads who responded in a moment. I'd love to pray with anyone as well. Or maybe you just want to pray with those around you. You're welcome to come to the front as we start to worship. Those who've spoken words over themselves of judgment or have had words spoken over you. I'd love to see you released from those today. Maybe if you know I've spoken cynicism, gossip, you'll never over people. I'm calling you just as we worship now. Don't move on before repenting of that. Come on, let's worship together and then perhaps we'll just steward some of that prophetic stuff together for a few minutes.